So it's just great to be together, great to worship God together, it's great to sing of the goodness of God, to celebrate Jesus and who he is and what he means to us. And uh, over these last weeks, we've been looking at what it means to uh, be a follower of Jesus. And the most common phrase in the New Testament for that is to be in Christ, someone who is in Christ, who is uh, someone who has given their life to Jesus, who now, because of the grace of God, we are now able to come and have a relationship with the Father in heaven because of Jesus and what he's done for us. So we are people who are in Christ. And over these weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be in Christ. We've been looking at verses and particular phrases. And this morning, we come to uh, the last but one in our series. Uh, next week, we won't be here. Uh, we will. Uh, many of us are going down to uh, the Commission Festival, which is at the Royal Bath and West Showground. But for those of you who are unable uh, to be with us, you can uh, follow it online and you can watch uh, uh, next Sunday. You can uh, join with us as we worship together. Uh, so there won't be a meeting here in person. And so we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses together. And uh, this morning the title is is we are guarded in Christ. And so I'm going to read uh, from verse 2 to the end of verse 7, and the words will come up behind me on the screen. This is what it says in the Christian Standard Bible. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sintishi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which suppresses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's this last verse we're going to be concentrating on, but we're going to be looking at some other things that come out of this passage this morning. And the peace of God which suppresses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So a number of years ago, I had uh, the privilege of traveling to uh, Kenya and went to Nairobi, and I was there on a compassion trip with some other church leaders, and uh, we went to a collection of slums in uh, Nairobi called Mathari, and Mathari slums, they're, they're the home for, of about over half a million people. It's not a huge area, and uh, while we were there, we were there for two days, and uh, we were traveling around uh, various parts of the slums. On the first day, um, I just felt, I felt very safe, didn't feel there were no issues. The second day, as we were wandering around, um, we had two guys with us, and one of them had a gun, and I was sort of like, oh, I was a bit intrigued. Why are you carrying a gun? To yesterday, we didn't have anybody who were carrying a gun with them. And uh, the guy said, uh, he said, yesterday you were in a part of the a slum and the gang that run that area were looking after you. And I'm like, oh, 
I didn't know I was being protected. I didn't know I was being looked after. I had absolutely no, I had no idea that I was at any risk. I had no idea I was in any danger. I actually felt very safe. I was actually protected and I didn't even know it. And I would say there are many Christians who have no idea that God is guarding them because they're followers of Jesus. And one of the things that Paul is saying in this passage is that, that God will guard us in Christ Jesus. You know, we live in a beautiful but often dangerous world. There are things that are incredibly beautiful and yet they are also dangerous. And I was seeing, uh, I was watching a clip uh, the other day of someone who was standing uh, as the, the storm was unfolding. They were standing by the edge of uh, the, the breakwater and they were watching the waves, huge waves crash over. But what they didn't realize, amazingly beautiful and powerful though it was, they were at great danger of being washed away. There's beauty and danger in this world. We all face risky situations, often made worse by some poor decisions that we may make. Inside us, we all have an inbuilt flight or fight response, which is a, 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 psycho, a physiological reaction to perceived harm, attack, or threat to our survival. And so when we face those moments, we, uh, for some of us, we run for the hills. And other moments, we, we sort of rise up and we, we want to fight uh, because we, uh, we feel we're in danger. It's our God-given survival mechanism for living in this world. It's not meant to be that way. But our rebellion, the mankind's rebellion against God, what the Bible calls our sin, our turning our back on the God who created us, has impacted the, uh, the perfect world he created. And this world is, is now a dangerous place for men and women. Death and danger are a common experience for us all. I was driving last Thursday and was driving between Hursley and Pitt, coming into Romsey Road in Winchester. And as I'm coming along this straight bit of road, just driving along on the speed limit, 50 miles an hour, driving at the speed limit, and then round the bend at the bottom, I see a bus coming. And I just, because I'm paying attention. I mean, there are moments, aren't there, when you're driving, when you, you just get distracted by something, you turn your head away, or you think, oh, wow, that's beautiful sunshine, or you look across the fields. But I'm paying attention, this bus comes around the corner, and as this bus comes around this corner, this car comes herring, overtaking it on the bend. And it's herring past this bus, and it's coming towards me, and, uh, and if I don't break, there's going to be a head-on collision, and there's going to be fatalities. And I literally slammed my foot on the brake, put my, foot on the, uh, my hand on the horn, and the car escapes, and goodness knows what could have happened. And internally you go, God, oh, thank you for protecting me. And yet I have had friends who, I remember a friend of mine many, many years ago at, in his early 20s was killed in a car accident. And it raises, these moments raise questions why, did, why was I okay and he wasn't? Did God protect me and not him? 
Do I just happen to have, did I buy into the gold protection plan and God specially looks after me? No, no, no. We live in a fallen world. We have to have a theology of uh, sin, suffering. Otherwise, we're going to get into trouble in understanding these sorts of things. God's protection doesn't mean bad things won't happen to good people. The Bible never promises that. As you read through the, the New Testament, you see it very clearly. You read uh, Acts, Luke's account of Peter and James in prison. As you read that in Acts chapter 12, James, both followers of Jesus, James receives the sword and he dies in prison. He's mart- martyred in prison. For his sake. Peter gets an angel and an angel comes and wakes him up and releases him and takes him out of the prison. Now, all of us would prefer the angel, wouldn't we? But the reality is we live in a world which is, uh, uh, which is, uh, a world which is anti-God. And if you know the history of the early church, uh, very, uh, pretty much all the first followers of Jesus, Jesus' disciples, his apostles, most of them died for their faith. We live in a world that is anti-God. And so when we talk about God's protection, what are we talking about? Do we mean that God protects us from every bit of danger? No, that's not what we mean. But does God protect us? Oh, yes, he does. But he's talking about something far more than just this world. He does protect us in this world, as we've heard Nancy's testimony this morning. There are moments where God comes and surrounds us and keeps us safe. And he's with us all the time. And yet his protection is so much far bigger and greater than all of that. Paul says this. He says of his experience. He says uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, on frequent journeys I face dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my own people. Dangers from Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers at sea. And dangers among false brothers. Paul knew what it was to face dangers as a follower of Jesus. And yet towards the end of his life, Paul is still able to say, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And there we have it. God's protection is ultimately is in him, that we will be with him forever. All of us, one day, will die unless Jesus comes again. Ultimately, the Bible is full of God's promises, of God's protection for his people, his protection for today and tomorrow, but ultimately for eternity. This is what Psalm, uh, Proverbs 18 verse 10 says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. God is our protector. That's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. In Psalm 121 verse 3 to 5, listen to what this says. Wonderful promise in the Psalms. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right 
by your side. One of my favorite hymns is a hymn by someone called Augustus Toplady. It's not a particularly well-known hymn, but two verses. And the first verse says this, a sovereign protector I have, unseen yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command. He smiles and my comforts abound. His grace as the dew shall descend and walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend. Beautiful hymn, full of truth, full of biblical truth that God is our protector in these days but ultimately for eternity. God's protection is personal, powerful and permanent And being in Christ is the fulfillment of this. And so when we read through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, we come across this phrase, in Christ, eight times. It's like a thread that runs beautifully through this letter. It promises in Paul promises in Philippians 4 verse 7 that we're guarded in Christ. And he points us to the evidence It's not the absence of danger. It's not the absence of bad things happening to good people. Rather, that in the midst of danger, in the midst of all that's going on, we know peace with God. That we know the peace of God in our hearts and minds. And finally, we know peace with others. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we unpack what it means to be guarded in Christ. The first thing is we know peace with God. Have you ever uh, been somewhere, maybe you've worked somewhere, maybe uh, uh, in school you've had a teacher you felt was always angry with you? Maybe you've, uh, have you ever had that experience where you, you just feel that someone's angry with you all the time? They don't say anything, but it's just the way they look at you. And they look at you, and there's probably some of you looking now he's angry with me again. I'm not, honestly. But there's that feeling that comes over you. They seem to be cross with me all the time. Have you experienced that? I remember as a teenager uh, thinking that my dad was cross with me a lot of the time. Now, there were good reasons sometimes when he was cross with me. He had good reason to be cross with me. But there were moments I would be lying in bed. My dad would come, come in late and he'd be talking to me. And I could hear them talking. They're talking loud. And I just used to think they're talking about me and he's, I've done something again. What have I done? I'm... It's crossed me, and he wasn't. It's a horrible feeling to live with that. Maybe you live with a sense of, God's angry with me. I let him down, I disappoint him. He's always disappointed, I just disappointed me. He's always disappointed with me. He's frustrated with me because I keep making mistakes. Is that you? Do you feel like that? I want to tell you that God is peace that's what we're told in the old testament he promises and he promises peace to all those who are in christ jesus you see first and foremost we need to know that we have peace with god through jesus christ it's initiated by god and it's only received by grace through what jesus has done on the cross jesus we're told is the prince of peace We're told that Jesus would come and be the Prince of Peace and he would bring peace to 
into our lives. This is what Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1. I mean, this is a beautiful verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you, you have peace with God. How amazing is that? Peace with God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is almighty, the God who is completely holy other than us. You have peace with God. Wow. God was pleased to bring us into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ by making, we're told in Colossians, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so this this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it today. And as you do that, as you put your trust in him and as you turn your heart towards him and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, you will know peace with God. The God of heaven will look on you and all his, his gaze on you is one of tenderness and affection and love because you are at peace with God because Christ has dealt with everything that could keep you from the Father's presence. How amazing is that? You see, we only have peace with God if we put our personal trust in Jesus. Are we inextricably linked to Jesus Christ? Are we in Christ? Jesus himself said this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. There it is. In this world, you will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. You're going to have trouble. If you're in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In Jesus, you have peace. This world gives us trouble. But take heart, Jesus has overcome this world. That is good news. Peace with God is our inheritance in Jesus. And only when we know peace with God can we know the peace of God in our hearts and minds. I have, over many years of being a pastor in uh, a local church, both here and uh, in in Hedge End, I have seen God God come and bring peace to people who are facing really tough situations. When they're feeling anxious and fretful, I've seen God come and bring peace amazingly in response to prayer. I remember one situation, a lady who was uh, just facing uh, a medical uh, uh, situation and was very anxious. And Annie and I praying with her and the peace of God just came on her. It transformed everything. The circumstances didn't change in the moment, but she knew peace, the peace of God guarding her heart and mind. Many of us here in this place have experienced God's peace as we've been in difficult situations through illnesses and difficult job situations and relational meltdowns. We've known what it is to experience God's peace. If you're here this morning and you are struggling with anxious thoughts, I want you to know that you can know God's peace guarding your heart and mind. 
Most commentators would agree that when Paul refers to the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, he's saying that God's peace is superior to anything else that can come by human wisdom, planning, and ingenuity. God's peace can't be manufactured by us understanding the circumstances. God's peace is received by his spirit into our soul and it guards our hearts and minds. The word guard that Paul used means is garrison. And uh, in the concordances, it would be, it's, the, the phrase would be used of a, a watcher watching in advance on, on the walls, mounting guard as a sentinel. Figuratively, it means to hem in, to protect, to keep. And when Paul uses that, he's probably alluding to uh, Philippi being at the Roman garrison that was in the city of Philippi. And the purpose of the Roman garrison was to keep the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, and uh, in the city, in the surrounding area. Of course, when he's talking, alluding to that, so people understand, oh, garrison, they would understand what garrison means. Oh, right, okay, that's what he's getting at. Roman soldiers could only bring, uh, could only exert external pressure to bring peace. Paul is talking about something far bigger and greater and deeper. God's peace works in our internal, in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, the very essence, the center of our being. Do you know that? Or do you just battle with anxiety? A few weeks ago, let me uh, give you an illustration. Uh, I, was, uh, I met uh, Steve Bryan, our MP. Uh, we met up for coffee. and We met over in the cathedral refectory. And uh, when I got there, he said, oh, Steve, I'm doing an interview. There's uh, been a, he was the chair of a cross-party committee on health. And he said, there's a report being released today, and uh, they want to interview me on uh, national TV. I think it's probably BBC, something like that. And he said, I normally just do it off my phone. And uh, he said, it's just an easy way to do it. He said, would you hold my phone and record me uh, while uh, we do the interview? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course I will. So he gives me his phone, and um, he said, uh, said, uh, I'll tell you when they're ready to go. So I, I start like this, and I'm holding the phone like this. 20 minutes. I'm holding the phone like this. 20 minutes. By the end, all I'm thinking is, I'm not even thinking about what he's saying. I'm just thinking, all I don't want it to be is like that. So he's on BBC and he's, he's sort of like, he looks like he's on, you know, he's in the Bay of Biscay when, on a, in a storm. I, I'm like, my arms are falling off. I, I'm, all I'm thinking is, please, God, let him finish. Let him finish. That's, I'm actually, I'm not paying any attention to what he says. So the, here's the point. Here's the point that I want to make. Okay, here's the point that I want to make. In that moment, it wasn't the weight of the phone. It was the length of time that I was holding it. Sometimes it's not the weight. You just think, oh, I'm just a bit anxious. But the issue is the length of time that we keep holding on to it. Eventually, it wears us down. It's that anxiety. Is that what anxiety is like for you? You've just lived with it for so long and it's just worn you down. Are we anxious people? Can we, we talked about last Sunday about being able to sleep and knowing peace when we sleep and we prayed for people at the end to struggle with peace and sometimes we don't sleep because we're just anxious. We've got these little 
anxious thoughts that we've just been holding on to for so long and they've just weigh us down. See, sadly, our hearts and minds can't be controlled by our wills. If we're being truthful, we've all had times when we can't let go of things and we battle with anxiety. I remember years ago uh, in uh, my late 20s, early 30s, I was doing uh, a planning inquiry and I was going to be cross-examined by a barrister who was a QC, Queen's Counsel. And uh, so it's going to be a five-hour cross-examination. It's going to be the best part of, of a day. And I really wasn't looking forward to it because we really didn't have a case at all. And I knew it was going to be ugly and it was going to be difficult. And, and the weeks before, I was just anxious and I didn't sleep very well at all. We, we all know moments like that where we just feel anxiety coming over us. You see, I want to say this. Anxiety is directly linked to how much we're trusting God. You see, much of our anxiety, much of my anxiety, comes as I worry about the daily issues and needs of life. It's as if, in that moment, I didn't believe that God loved me and wasn't working out his perfect plan for my life. That's what's going on in our hearts. God wants us to be anxious about nothing. He doesn't want us to be anxious about anything. You see, prayer is the evidence that we trust God. Michael Reeves, who wrote a, 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 a little book called Enjoying Your Prayer Life, he talks about John Calvin, and he says, John Calvin calls prayer the chief exercise of faith. In other words, prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. This also means that prayerlessness is practical atheism demonstrating a lack of belief in God. Here's the question. Is prayer, when we're, fa we're facing situations, we're starting to feel anxious, we're starting, we're, we're recognizing, we're starting to feel anxious and we're starting to hold on to something, is is prayer our first thought or is it our last resort? Too often for us, it's our last resort. Prayer is a sign that we trust God. And as we do that, as we bring our requests to God, Paul says the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. Another thing Paul says is thankfulness is key. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says pray with thanksgiving. In the passage that we read. Thankfulness in prayer is our choice to remind ourselves of God's goodness to us. It's especially powerful when we're facing circumstances that would tempt us to be anxious and doubt God's goodness. So when we're facing those moments, one of the best antidotes is to go, thank you God that you've looked after me all the days of my life, to remind yourself of when he has been with you and his presence has helped you through. As you do that, as you are thankful, you start to lift your eyes to the hills where your help comes from, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Thankfulness is a key to peace. You see, prayer in and of itself does nothing to make us feel better. Prayer by itself does nothing to make us feel better. 
People pray to all sorts of objects. Neither is a prayer of distraction to distract us from what's going on around us. Prayer of itself doesn't change anything. Prayer is bringing our request to the God of heaven and earth, and it's God who does something. The second verse of this hymn that I read out earlier says this. Inspirer and hearer of prayer. Thou shepherd and guardian of thine. My all to thy covenant care. I sleeping and waking resign. If thou art my shield and my sun. The night is no darkness to me. And fast as my moments roll on. They bring me but nearer to thee. Beautiful promises of God's great protection for us. God wants his peace to garrison our hearts and minds. The commentator Alec Mottier in his uh, uh, commentary on Philippians in the Bible Speaks Today series, he draws the analogy with uh, about the word garrison with a besieged city. And if you've ever seen uh, The Lord of the Rings, you've seen the second film, The Two Towers, and uh, you've seen uh, the battle for the Hornburg. And it's the battle between the king of Rohan and the forces of uh, Isengard, the forces of evil. And the odds are overwhelming. The army coming to take this citadel are massive. But the hope that they hold on to is that no one has ever taken this citadel. And in the citadel with them, they have the king, Aragon, the king. And it looks like right at at the end there that the citadel's about to fall. But the king is there. And they hold out. And they win and they overcome against insurmountable odds. Tolkien was giving an illustration of what it is like for those who are in Christ. You may feel that the odds against you are insurmountable. You may feel besieged. But God is with you. The King is with you. And Jesus promises to never leave you or forsake you. We can experience the peace of God whatever the circumstance we're facing, knowing that one day we're going to be with him forever and ever and ever. We will pass through death into the life to come and we will be with the Lord forever. We will eternally know peace in his presence. How can we know peace today? In the, you can say, how can I know peace in the circumstances I'm facing, Steve? You don't know what I'm facing. Well, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of peace. It's a command. It's not an invitation. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Ask God's Spirit to come and fill you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me right now. Cry out to him. Paul gives us some keys. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. In every situation and circumstance, rejoice in God. Rejoice in who he is and that he is the great king. That one day you're going to be with him forever. You're just a pilgrim passing through this world. You're a stranger to this world. Your home is in heaven as we sung about earlier. 
Bring your requests with thankfulness, Paul says. Jesus promises that as we do that, he will give us peace. He says this in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. We can know the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds. So if we know peace with God and we know the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds, we can live in peace with others. We all want peace in our time. Neville Chamberlain's famous phrase after coming back from uh, uh, a council with the German forces, came back and said, there'll be peace in our time. It lasted five minutes. We all want world peace. When we see what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, we want peace. Everybody wants peace from prime ministers to social influencers. And yet, despite all our efforts, we don't seem to get any closer to achieving it. Jeremiah in the Old Testament sums it up when he says, peace, peace, there is no peace. So what's Paul talking about? Clearly here in Philippians 4, Paul is talking about relational peace among God's people, the church community. His point is, is that God's peace in Christ is powerful enough to protect and guard our relationships together. It's the mark of the supernatural amongst us that there's peace amongst us. Paul has written this, these, these verses in Philippians 4 for public consumption. He brings up a private dispute between two ladies in the church, Euodia and Sintishi. We've no idea what happened. However, everyone in the church knew about it, and clearly Paul had heard about it. And Paul pleads with them both. He doesn't say who's right and who's wrong. He doesn't take sides in it. He doesn't identify who needs to apologize. I'm sure both thought they were right. In every dispute I've ever been involved in, I always thought I was right. And you have too. We always think we're right. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. He doesn't, Paul doesn't identify who needs to apologize. Yet both are under an obligation to make the first move. Paul doesn't act as a mediator. He doesn't sit on the fence. He doesn't mention the issue itself. He doesn't even sum up the arguments. The most important thing to Paul is that there's peace. And there's peace amongst God's people. Because it demonstrates that the king is amongst us. That the king is amongst his people. That God dwells amongst us. And so Paul asks an unnamed person to help these two women who worked alongside him. Perhaps the, Paul leaves the identity a bit vague so that we can all appreciate the role we have to play in those disputes when those things happen. For us, being in Christ means that there should be peace amongst us. That means that if we've got things going on in our heart, there are things we need to put right. Paul instructs the church in Thessalonica to live at peace with each other. We're expected to do it. Peace with God must outwork in terms of peace within his church. It's radical. 
The biggest social divide in Paul's day was between Jew and Gentile. But Paul says if they're in Christ, there must be peace between them. So if both sides are in Christ, if they're believers, they need to be peace. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's why there should be peace amongst us. Because Christ dealt with it on the cross. Every bit of hostility. Being in Christ breaks down dividing walls. And so we must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 3. Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But, Steve... Really? Is that true? Now, Paul says, we automatically have unity because we're in Christ. So we have to make every effort to keep it. That's our responsibility. Paul goes further in Romans 12, verse 18. He says, if it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with a few people, with someone. No, he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peace with God should relate and translate into knowing the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds. But the outworking of it is that there should be peace amongst God's people. What about the person who did that to me? What about the person who, Steve, you don't know that person, what they said about me? No, Paul says everyone. Actually, we bring it to Christ and God does something supernatural in our hearts that we can let go and leave it to God to deal with and we can know peace and we can bring peace into every circumstance and situation. So the challenge this morning as we come to a close is do we know peace with God? Do you know peace with God? Do you know God's peace in your heart? Do you know God loves you? That he's for you. If you don't, you can know that today. You can know peace with God by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety. Maybe you've, you, you know that anxiety is overwhelming you at the moment. I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And as you do that, I want to encourage you to bring your request to him with thanksgiving. I want to encourage you to come and rejoice in what God, who God is and what he's done for you. And as you do that, I want to tell you that as you ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you, God will come and do something supernatural. Not because I promise it, because his word promises it. His peace will come and guard your heart and mind, whatever your circumstances. You can know the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. And as we respond this morning, as Joe and the band are going to sing a song over us, you may know it, you may want to sing along. It's a new song. But if you don't know it, allow the words to sink over your soul and ask God, God, come and fill me with your peace today. And maybe there's issues you need to put right. 
maybe with God, about disputes that are going on in your heart, things that you're holding in your heart. Maybe there's things that need to be said. You need to say to people, sorry. We're always waiting for someone else to come and say sorry to us. Actually, God expects us to be those who take the initiative. He wants us to know peace with others. Alec Mottier in the commentary on Philippians says this. The resolute stand of the church in the world depends in the final human analysis on the state of my heart, the quality of my holiness. In this situation, God is the mighty indweller and the God who sets a supernatural mark on our lives. He is our guard and companion. He gives us his peace. The task is great, but the power is equal to it. Hallelujah.